Hello, everyone. Hello, my name's Susan Cole. And I'm Matthew Hodson. And welcome to AIDS Map Chat, the podcast, our weekly show where we'll be chatting to guests from around the world about issues around HIV and COVID. Um, we've got some fabulous guests lined up for us this week. We've got Lloyd Russell Moyle, who was the first UK MP to t- disclose his HIV status in a parliamentary speech. We've got Kevin Fenton, who is the head of the re- regional director of Public Health England for London. He's just taken up the post and can you imagine what it must have been like to take up a public health role at this particular moment and uh, we also have the beautiful story that is Doreen Moray Maracha who battles HIV stigma in Kenya. Wonderful and how has your week been Matthew? How are things going? Uh, It's been an absolute nightmare. I've hated every second of it. How about you? Well, um, I've just found out today some very important news. Um, KFC has opened in Croydon. So, <laughs> so, so what is it about you? Every week you just like to talk about fast food outlets. I mean, well, I'm a South London girl and fast food is, is very important for us. So fingers crossed. Um, McDonald's. Uh, well, if, if we're talking about that, then I'm just going to give a shout out to my friend Brad, who's a baker, and he's just delivered <laughs> some pizza dough for us. So I will be cooking my own pizzas tonight. <laughs> Fantastic! But if we could park fast food for a yeah. moment, I, mean, I, yes. I talk about fast food for a long time. So, have there been any stories in the news around COVID and HIV that have struck you recently? Well, I mean, the, the really big story that um that we've just reported on on AIDS map uh, is this this new modeling which is looking at what predict the excess mortality will be as a result of covid um, and i mean obviously this is mathematical modeling so you know it's not saying that this is a prediction it's just saying that this is what we think is going to happen if x y and z happen um, it's it's devastating uh, we are looking at um, a, an additional 550,000 deaths from HIV in sub-Saharan Africa um, this year. Uh, so, I mean, that's that, that's double what we would have expected otherwise. Um, oh, yeah, that, that's and, awful. Yeah, and, and, and this disruption is going to last, you know, according to, to, to this model, it will last, probably last for five years, we're going to see excess mortality. And that is obviously not even including the kind of mortality we're going to see as a result of tuberculosis or as a result of malaria. Um, and we we talk about this a lot. I mean, it often comes up in in these AIDS map chats, but it, it's not just the deaths that we will see as a result of COVID-19. It is the deaths that we will see as a result of people not being able to access their HIV treatment. Um, and also with people not being able to access their HIV treatment, it also means that people will continue to uh, be a transmission risk to sexual partners and so as well as the excess deaths that we will see we will also see a larger increase in new infections than we might have otherwise expected. Uh, Yes that's absolutely awful and and what really struck me about the data as well was the the potential huge increase in mother to child transmission um, of HIV. I mean we've, we've I think one of the really big success stories has been the significant reduction. And um, this modelling data has shown that there could be an increase by um, 
percent, which is yeah. absolutely staggering. And I think it's it's so important that we we do everything that we can to fight COVID. But I think it's really important that that isn't at the expense of um, battling other diseases. And I think HIV potentially could be a victim here. Yeah, I mean, and well, I mean, again, we we, we talk about the the impacts of COVID and. Um, and it's always the most marginalised in society uh, who suffer most when there's a pandemic on. Um, and I've also been really disturbed by some of the reports I've been seeing about what's happening to LGBT communities around the world. Um, uh, I mean, South Korea, which has actually had an incredibly effective COVID response, but you know, a part of that is a very conservative society, and gay men have been outed and shamed. We've seen there, there was a video footage of an LGBT refuge in uh, in Uganda um, being uh, raided, and eighteen men have been imprisoned. Uh, trans women have been beaten by police in Georgia, and trans rights have been eroded in Hungary and Puerto Rico. Um, obviously. For LGBT communities, we have a history of, you know, for, 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 for myself, I was around in the 1980s. I was coming to terms with my sexuality in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. um, and in the UK, we saw new homophobic legislation introduced, supposedly. I mean, they never, there was no mention of HIV or AIDS within that legislation, but, you know, it was all about protecting children and there was a real undercurrent of protecting children from disease. And we see when we are facing a crisis like this, that it's those people who are often most marginalised in society who bear the full brunt of it. Um, so as a, as a queer person myself, I, I mean, my heart is breaking for people. And, you know, and this is, it's, it's a global challenge this mm. oh so, yeah uh, yeah sorry. i told you it's been a bit of a rubbish week really hasn't it there's <laughs> yeah. not there's not much i'm celebrating there i'm sorry i don't have a kfc opening up <laughs> okay. well i think it's probably time to then bring on one of my heroes um <laughs> to sort of lift the mood so I'm not your hero. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome Lloyd Russell Moyle MP in, in sunny Brighton. Yeah, we've got blue skies, so. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Lloyd, um, you came out about your HIV status in a, a really public way. Um, the first MP to talk openly um, about living with HIV in a parliamentary speech. What was that like for you? Uh, well, it was nerve-wracking, of course, and uh, you're always a bit worried that people are going to take it um, badly. People actually were extremely kind, apart from a few people phoning up and saying horrible things down the phone. But to tell you the truth, as a politician, you get that whether you talk about your HIV status or not. But actually, my colleagues in Parliament and my constituents were, were, were very good and supportive about it. Uh, but I did it. For, probably for three reasons. One is because I wanted to just get it off my chest and actually you, you walk lighter when you just know that it's not an issue. Um, but secondly, because I was worried that that we were losing focus, particularly around some of the developments around um, PrEP uh, that we needed to push. And then finally, in Britain, there'd been so much cuts to um, public health and particularly sexual health that I just felt it was important to raise these issues. You know, as a politician, you have to use real life examples to raise uh, political ones. And sometimes 
uh, by raising real life examples, you have to you raise personal ones. Yeah, I, I, I've definitely found that being open about my HIV status has like really helped me. It's actually, I mean, I've just found it really empowering because before there was always that element of, you know, what if people find out and, you know, will people judge me in a different way? And you're, 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 my own self stigma kind of fed into that. Yeah. And then when as soon as you're just like, oh, everyone knows now. <laughs> like, and, rather so, than, and rather than having to think, or well, do I need to tell this person or not? The burden to some extent, particularly with me, the burden is on the other person, you know, kind of, I mean, I've been on all the national yeah. papers about it. If they don't know, well, actually, where have they been? And they need to care more about my life. And I don't need to think, is this the right person to tell or not? It's a case of, well, you know, if they care, they'll know. You Absolutely. Know? It makes us stronger. It makes us yeah. stronger. I mean, we've had huge progress in, in terms of HIV. Certainly in the UK, we're, we're really fortunate in terms of having access to treatment and treatment has been around for, for, for many years. But unfortunately, there's still lots of people worldwide who don't have access to treatment. And do you have concerns that we're going to see that um, when and if a COVID vaccine is made available? Yes, I mean, we still have to say if a COVID vaccine is made available and you think how long it's taken and we are close but still not there to get a mm. HIV vaccine. Um, I think we will probably get one um, because the amount of money that's ploughed into it and I think that's also something to think about if those resources have been ploughed into other diseases where would we have been you know where how, how far could we have got but it's not just about HIV if you look at vaccine um, take up around the world apart from uh, two diseases we have never managed to eradicate diseases so far um, and that is because it is really difficult vaccines are expensive and they're difficult to get to the right people in the right places at the right time and there's a real danger that uh, if this vaccine is not made free or extremely trip cheap um, it will just not get to the right people. Already we have the Gavi system, which is a system to try and bulk purchase vaccines to get the price really down. And that still excludes many people from being able to get access to it. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I think with COVID, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's a global pandemic. And unless we actually find a solution which is going to work on a global level, we're never going to conquer it. Yeah. So, you know, it's really important that nations come together and work together on this and that, that everyone, you know, no matter where they are, should be available to all. I think it's, it's yeah. I'm really, it feels like such an opportunity for, for nations to work together here. And I'm yeah. really terrified it will be lost. I'm a, I'm a silver lining guy. I like to think about what, what could the good that come out of it. And I remember two years ago, three years ago, I've spent a few weeks in Liberia to look at, some of the post Ebola stuff and how actually we'd used that, not, not as effectively as I'd have liked to, but able to use that, particularly with TB treatment and some, and, and some HIV treatments as well, to be able to, uh, to get a community health response. So you had community health workers in communities, and once they're in there, you're able to get them to do a number of things. So if, you'll get, if, if we have a global response to get the vaccine to everyone, that means you've built a network that can also start to deliver other forms of health interventions. The danger is at the moment, we have a kind of shut down everything approach, you know, don't go out, don't go. And what that's doing is actually destroying um, health networks that might be very fragile. And so we need to make sure that we take the advantage situation, the silver lining situation, rather than the, the dark clouds of the situation. 
Let's, let's, let's go for the silver lining approach. Yeah. Lloyd, it's been so fantastic to talk to you. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm really annoyed because you are the shadow minister for air quality. And yeah. air quality is like really, it seems to be linked. But unfortunately, I don't think we have time to discuss that right now. So um, we'll be on the show again, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Lloyd. Bye. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there have obviously been kind of some kind of well, uh, progress made because it looks like we're about to get antibody testing in the UK. Yes, and I think Public Health England have said that there potentially is one that's going to work. If only we had someone from Public Health England. You know what? Why don't we get Kevin Fenton, who is the regional director for Public Health England in London? Hi, Matthew. That was the smoothest segue in history. No one noticed. Um, so, Kevin, you you were literally last month you took up the appointment for as regional director of Public Health England for London which is, has the highest prevalence of COVID in the UK. Is that uh, right? So uh, uh, regionally, we have nearly 26,000 cases in London and unfortunately, just over 5,500 deaths. So the yeah. epidemic itself has certainly taken its toll on Londoners. And as you know, from the data that are coming out more recently, we're beginning to see the impact of COVID on uh, black and minority ethnic communities, on men, especially on more deprived communities in the city. So not only have we had a severe uh, uh, epidemic, experience with the epidemic, but we also know that uh, its impact on inequalities has been of great concern. So, I, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, what, what are you, what's PhD doing to address the, those inequalities, particularly for BME communities? So we've been asked by the Chief Medical Officer, Matthew, to really look at the research and surveillance data that we have to really understand whether there is disproportionality according to, across the ethnic groups on um, your likelihood of being tested for COVID, your likelihood of being diagnosed with COVID, your progression to severe disease, as well as your likelihood of dying from COVID. And we're looking at the variations across racial and ethnic groups. We're also looking at other differences by age, by gender and of course region across the country. So we'll be able to get a deeper understanding of these variations. And from that, we'll be able to understand how best to intervene and to support communities across the country as we respond to COVID. And as we move beyond the peak of the epidemic and we're looking at sort of low levels of transmission of COVID within the community, how best to support communities to reduce risk. So a really important work. And I think a lot of what we've learned from HIV will be particularly important here in helping us to engage communities, address stigma, and really help to keep the focus on, on prevention. Wonderful. I mean, as a, as a Black Londoner myself, I know people in my community are, are really scared at the moment. I mean, what advice can you give to people who are worried at the moment while we wait for the answers and wait for the data? Well, Susanna, you're absolutely right. And in fact, a part of Public Health England's work is undertaking a, a major engagement and listening session. And I've been speaking, a listening exercise, and I've been speaking with so many community representatives, uh, professional organizations, academics across the country to understand what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what they're feeling about the impact of COVID on minority communities. And this concept of fear and, um, and distress and, and grieving about what's been happening is, is very real. So I think there are things that we can do 
first of all, ensuring that our communities have the materials that they need to understand what they can do to protect themselves and their loved ones. That we really, because we see this strong association with severe COVID, with factors such as smoking and obesity and uh, poorly controlled long-term conditions like diabetes and hypertension, there's a chance for us to really focus on supporting communities to be take more control of their health so that they can protect themselves from severe COVID and death. So there are things that we can all do to protect ourselves. And of course, ensuring that we are isolating and following government guidelines as well. Really important that we don't take or focus off of the things that we need to do as communities to protect ourselves. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the, the the emotional impact, and I mean, already we're kind of getting at the moment quite anecdotal data that I've seen around you know, kind of increases in suicide, um, and certainly much much more calls on kind of counselling services and other mental health services. Now, for you as, as you know, representing Public Health England, I mean, how do you balance out? the physical health of London Londoners with their emotional health because you know some of the measures which we're introducing to tackle COVID are also having an emotional health impact. Well you're so right Matthew and I'm so glad you raised this issue of mental health because when I think of the health of Londoners it's about combining and integrating mental and physical health as one and the impact of COVID certainly is not just on the physical health and well-being. We know that the impact of the lockdown social isolation, the fact that people have not been engaging with health services has meant that the stress and anxiety levels are up and people are struggling uh, as we go through this phase of the epidemic. And we expect as we move into the next phase that we're likely to see a lot of mental health issues uh, appearing. And so we've been really focusing in London with the Thrive London initiative to really engage communities and provide more online preventive services and support services for mental health. And the NHS has been fantastic in thinking about pathways for diagnosis and care and support for people who may be struggling or may who may have a pre-existing mental health issue that need more intensive support. So this is really at the forefront of leadership and healthcare leadership in London about protecting both physical and mental health. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, I guess one of the things that's been really getting to me this week is I've, I've been thinking more about how long we may be restricted in our movements. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine um, who is from Canada and the kind of the realization she has that she doesn't know when she'll see her family next and it may not may well not be this year. She may not be able to get home to see her family this year. And the toll that's gonna to extract on people, it's, it's mm -hmm. immense. Yeah, it, it really is. And so therefore this concept of, you know, living with COVID, and you know, we, we, we sometimes speak about life after COVID. The reality is for the next, for the foreseeable future, for the next year, 18 months, even when a vaccine is available, it will take time for the vaccine to reach the entire population and to be scaled up. So we really are looking at the next 18 months, two years of actually living with COVID and having to adjust how we interact with each other, how we use public spaces, how we interact with the workplace, and how we do daily activities in London. And I think now more than ever, conversations like this and the way we support each other moving forward is going to be critical because none of us will be able to, to survive this on our own. Yeah. And if, if never before, I think this whole experience is highlighting the importance of community and what community is and the value of community and community support services. So I'm hoping that as we move into this next phase, conversations like this will continue in communities across the country and London 
to ensure that we're well prepared for the next phase. Oh, thank wonderful. you so much, Kevin. Thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you. Hopefully see you soon. It is that thing, isn't it? We, we hear, you know, within all this horror, uh, we hear these wonderful stories about how communities are responding, um, you know, across the UK, across sub-Saharan African nations. I mean, every day I hear something which actually does fill me with joy about that response and how people are helping each other and supporting each other. And we, we need that so much at this, a time like this. Absolutely. And that seems like a segue um, to bring in, if only we had a guest who was a ray of sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the sun's just come out. It is. <laughs> it's so wonderful to have you on. I mean, you have been so inspirational to people all around the world. You've taken the cards that life has dealt you and created a, a beautiful story that's yeah. helped so many people so thank you for that but how have you, how have you been coping with the the challenges um that covid has been bringing people living with hiv well at first i was worried uh, especially with the fact that they said uh, a lot of people with uh, who are immunodepressed have an issue and uh, they might be they might have a chance of getting hiv uh, sorry of getting covid-19 but then I realized that we managed HIV and AIDS from a death sentence. We managed it from a deadly pandemic, and now it is just a normal health condition. So trust, I believe that one day we're just going to look back at COVID-19 and say, oh, we did it, you know, we did it. It was a test and we passed it too. Oh, I hope so, I do hope so. Now, Doreen, because you were mm -hmm. diagnosed at a very young age, you were, how old were you when you were diagnosed with HIV? I was eight years old. Eight years old, and yeah. and I, I because I follow you on Twitter and I see <laughs> I see the, the the energy and the optimism that you put out into the world, but also you, you talk about God and you talk about God having had a purpose for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. how, how does your faith inform your approach to life? Uh, well, you know, when uh, today somebody asked me, asked me a very interesting question that how come I lived with HIV for a whole thirteen years? without medication, and then I'm still here, you know? They're like, you're not really living with HIV. So I told them, I also can't explain my story and it can't make sense in the way you want it to make sense because it's all about how God has planned it. And as much as uh, I go through life believing that God is there, God has a purpose for me, I also believe that I have to take my ARVs every day, and the same purpose he had for me when he created me 28 years ago is the same purpose that he's going to have for me as we move on with life. Wonderful, that's so inspirational. And um, you, I, I've heard you speak about um, you know, the times when you found it difficult to take your medication and the impact that had. What advice would you give to other young people living with HIV who perhaps are feeling overwhelmed about taking their medication every day and, and might be considering stopping? Uh, I stopped taking my ARVs for two years, as much as I have been on ARVs for 15 years now. And uh, it is overwhelming. Treatment fatigue is so real. But one of the things I can tell you is 
also being undetectable is so beautiful like you have this whole life be- ahead of you and you're like you know like you can do anything it does not limit you it so stop giving hiv the power to define you i always say hiv is a tiny virus don't give it power over your life you are the guest hiv is the host so as the host uh, sorry you are the host hiv is the guest so as the guest as the host you are making the the decisions you're calling the shots you're telling it you know what i'm making you undetectable and i'm never going to to be in any hospital lying on a hospital bed because my life goes on i am undetectable which means i can transmit to anybody and my life goes on oh fabulous fantastic fantastic thank you so much for coming on and really thank great you. always always get the u equals u message out because when we tell people that it, mm-hmm. it it strikes at stigma it encourages adherence to medication it will help yeah. end the epidemic wonderful it, thank it you. will it will thank you so much thank, thank you so you. much for coming on Oh, she is just, just you know when you meet people and they have this this wonderful energy about them don't you and 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 Doreen has that yeah. she's she, she, yeah she does and and like <laughs> the, uh, you Matthew <laughs> she really is um truly inspirational and and I, I'm so glad that she and which of course you are Matthew <laughs> but the uh, i think it the, the power of the the you equals you message is is so important um and yeah and and i don't think we should lose sight of the fact you know obviously it's it's, it's incredibly important that people living with hiv if they have uh, they take their medication properly and they they um they have an undetectable viral load they can't pass it on but ultimately, the most important thing about taking your medication is staying alive. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I take my medication to stay alive. Um, yeah. and everything else is bonus. But I do, I mean, I, I think one of the big challenges is if you have access to treatment is the stigma that people who are living with HIV still face. And I do think that U equals U is an incredibly powerful tool in tackling stigma uh, because so much of the fear that people who don't have HIV have or people who live with HIV is, well, what if I get it from them? Mm-hmm. And so when you can say, look, you know, we could do whatever and you <laughs> won't get it from me. You know, that's that's kind of good, isn't it? I mean, yeah, that, yeah. that's brilliant. And so I, now, now you need to banish that image from your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we are starting to run out of time. So, Matthew, who do we have on next week? Well, next week we have uh, Shannon Hader, who is the Deputy Executive Director of UNAIDS. We have uh, Winifred Ikelai from Uganda, um, who works with the AIDS Vaccine Advocacy Coalition. And we have uh, an epidemiologist and assistant professor at Harvard Medical School, Julia Marcus, who has just written an incredible article about how we need to make harm reduction part of our lives in the COVID-19 era. So I'm really excited about all of those guests. And one thing we haven't said, which I think we need to say, is that next week is the last of our scheduled run of shows. Oh, no! I know. Well, um, 
it's been i mean I've, i mean next week obviously will be a complete disaster zone and then i'll hate everything about it but um assuming that that isn't the case um it's been really lovely and but what's been really great is when we kind of hear get feedback from people so it'd be fantastic if you've enjoyed this show let us know if you've hated this show let susan know um, <laughs> um and uh but you know your comments are kind of really helpful for us so so please do let us know because we will be looking at it and kind of thinking about whether we're going to bring it back but we need to take a break after next week and so. hopefully we will be coming back um, see you and, next and week see you next week take care bye bye Thank you for listening to AIDSMAP Chat, the podcast. Please do rate and review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts via Apple, Acast, iTunes or Spotify. I hope you can tune in again next week.